Well, amen. See, uh, Brother Leland up here with these young ladies sort of reminds you of, what, what, do, they, what do they say, uh, a thorn among the roses or something like that? But anyway, good job. I was thinking about the uh, first time I met uh, Leland. I think he was probably a junior in high school, maybe, something like that, all the way up in Spokane, Washington. And uh, to see him then come to Heartland, marry well, yes, I believe he married well. I sure do. And uh, serving the Lord, that's oh, a great blessing. Thank you all. We've heard some good music here. You all may be used to it. I talk to the folks back home at Southwest. I used to all the time. And, um, you know, you don't, it, when people get up like that and they minister to you in song and they do it well and the harmony is good, don't get used to that. I mean, just thank the Lord for it. It's a blessing. It reaches our heart. It's good. Thank you all for the good singing all day and throughout this meeting. It's been a blessing and a delight. And I want to say on behalf of my wife, we sure do appreciate the opportunity to come back. I remember the last time we were, let's see, maybe it was the first time we were here. I can't remember for sure, but it might have been a missions conference. Do you remember, Pastor? Because I remember, I believe it was on Saturday night that after a service, there was a, there were chairs cleared out of here, or maybe it was the pews. I don't remember, but it seemed like we set up a table. There was a table set up up here. Say, am I thinking about something else, or was that downstairs? Maybe it's international dinner downstairs. And I'll never forget walking by there. Man, you talk about some food. It was fantastic. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a whole pig laying on a, on a table. Now, I raised hogs, and we ate a lot of our own pork, you know. But I'd never really seen one on the table like that, uh, you know, laying in that condition. I had not ever seen that. But, boy, there was some good ham on that, I tell you for sure. And good, good pork. It was a blessing. I'll never forget that evening and the fellowship and the great meal and the great time. We appreciate the opportunity to come back. Now, open your Bibles, if you would, to the 119th Psalm. The 119th Psalm. <clears throat> Surely this is a psalm that everyone has memorized. No? 119th Psalm. Be quite a challenge, wouldn't it? And we're going to look, uh, our, our text is going to be over starting in uh, 161, but we're going to read first uh, in 97. We're going to read this stanza in uh, verse 97 through 104 first, and then we're going to turn over and work on our text in, in uh, starting with 161 down through 168. So let's stand together and we'll read the Word of God. Uh, and going to read beginning in verse 97 through 104, where the psalmist said, Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than men, uh, than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, that's not arrogance. It has to do, it's a result of a devotion to the law, the word, the commandments of God. I am more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. 
I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Mark that, please. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Now go to 161, and let's read these seven verses. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Lord, I have hoped for thy salvation and done thy commandments. My soul hath kept thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. I have kept thy precepts and thy testimonies, for all my ways are before thee. Now, let's go back to verse 165, shall we? And I'd like for everybody to join me in and uh, read these uh, verses aloud, just uh, verse 165. Ready? Just read it right aloud in unison with me. Ready? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Let's do it one more time for emphasis in our mind. Ready? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And I call this message a great way to live. A great way to live. Never offended. That'd be a great way to live. And uh, we're going to look into this passage uh, some tonight and about this matter of living without being offended. A great way to live. Father, we sure do thank you for another Lord's Day and the time that we have to spend together here this evening. And uh, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the work that you are doing and that you have done and are doing through Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And uh, it is the case with uh, Open Door Bible Baptist, like it is with many churches, Lord, that you cannot uh, be there on a Sunday and in one visit or stopping by now and then at all determine what all has been, is being, and is going to be accomplished by the life of a congregation. And we know it goes beyond the walls of this building. We certainly understand that. We give you thanks for it for how you're at work in and through the life of this assembly. I pray you bless our time together in the Word. Might it contribute to the health and the, and the uh, blessing of this congregation. I pray, Lord, that you'd use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I've made mention that uh, I was born in 1945, my wife and I were, and so I was a teenager as we went into the 1960s, 15 years old, of course, in 1960, and then through my teen years, and then young adult life at uh, 60s, took care of my Bible college time, and 
entrance into full-time ministry in 1967. And for those of you that uh, uh, could remember or know anything about uh, the recent history of our country, even if you're not old enough to remember back then, uh, then you know that the 1960s were a very, what I, what I call, a tumultuous time. And there are all kinds of publications that would verify that of, of all the things that transpired in the 60s. And uh, I had picked up a magazine when, with, at the grocery store with my wife that was on one of those stands as you get ready to go out there to the, uh, you know, to, to check out and all of this. And there was a magazine there that was a Life magazine, a special edition that had just come out. And uh, this was in early January. It had just come out. And it had to do with the 60s. The big headline had to do with the 60s and all of that. And it talked about the very thing that I've mentioned about the social upheaval that took place in the 1960s. And it was the time uh, that the Vietnam War was going. It was the time when there were race riots uh, all across the United States. There was a time when the hippie movement was bringing on a social and moral and sexual revolution here in the United States of America. There was political upheaval. There was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the assassination of Martin Luther King, the assassination of, of a Robert F. Kennedy. And it's just amazing all that transpired during the time of the 1960s. There were also strikes everywhere, everywhere you turn. Uh, people were going on strikes, and there was upheaval in all the, the, uh, in the uh, industrial world. And it was just, there, there was upheaval in family life and homes and marriage. There was anti-marriage mentality, anti-government, anti-any. They called it anti-establishment. So whether it was the law or whether it was education or whether it was church life or whether it was home authority or whatever it was, there was this big revolution against everything. And, and as a matter of fact, during that time, uh, I remember a song that came out. And it was a little ditty or a little song some by whom I, I don't remember. It might have been country and flavor. I don't even know. I just remember that the song went like this. Uh, there was more to the song, but this is a little repeated chorus, I guess you'd call it in the song. And everybody ought to have a song. Sing a little song about something that's gone wrong. Go on strike about something that you don't like. Everybody ought to have a song. And what it was, it was just a little song that had to do with the times. Everybody was mad at everybody. Everybody was mad at somebody. And if you read uh, that Life magazine uh, article about the 1960s, you would say, we were angry with our parents. We were angry at the government. We were angry. Everybody was upset and everybody was angry. And I think since that time, we are, uh, well, I don't think it. It is very evident that since that time, we are still living with that upheaval that took place in the 1960s. People look and say, oh, times could not be possibly worse. Well, the, <laughs> the times in which we live are not certainly not the first times of trial and and, uh, and, and uh, concern and division and strife in, in our land, not by any means. Not by any means. And we have come to a time now, I think I'm amongst some intelligent people that will recognize this. We've come into a time where there is hypersensitivity, where everybody is offended about something. 
And it's amazing how that the social media has got out with all the technology information age and the social media where there is more ability for people to be heard or read or whatever the case might be. And no, and everybody's now got to be hyper careful that we word everything exactly right because somebody is going to be offended by it. And I don't know that there's ever been a time in the history of our nation when people have been so highly offended at so little. It takes so little to offend people. Now, that is out here in the culture. That, that is definitely a part of our culture right uh, now where we are. And all you got to do is listen to the news on uh, uh, any regular basis whatsoever, and you'll see that so-and-so said this. It is learned that they posted it on social me- media or they said it in an interview 37 years ago or something, and everybody is offended by it. And, or not everybody, but there are some that are offended by it. And so they're hypersensitive about this offense. Now, I mention all of that out there in the culture because like so often happens, is what is going on out there eventually finds its way under the doors of a church somehow. And the next thing you know, you're dealing with the same kind of foolishness in church life as you have to deal with out here. So that the preacher in many pulpits today is tippy-toeing around to make sure that nobody can be offended. Uh, and, and that you can talk to people that once were in church and maybe once trying to follow the Lord and once be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but somewhere along the way they got offended. Somebody offended them. Now, come on, I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't know, I've probably spent at least as much time trying to get somebody that got offended about something back in step with the Lord as trying to reach the sinners how to be saved. Isn't that crafty of the devil? If we spend most of our time getting Christians to get over silly offenses, then we can spend more time uh, trying to reach the unbeliever for whom Jesus died. But many believers are hung up on offenses and easily offended, just like the mentality out there. I'm not trying to be critical or ugly, just realistic. And, And it has become true in American church life, just about like it is in Corinth. I think if you would have walked in the church at Corinth, you would have seen more of Corinth in that congregation than Jesus in that congregation. See? And that's backwards how it ought to be. I said that's backwards. In other words, it appears that the Corinthian church was more influenced by the Corinthian culture than by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's wrong. And I'm, I'm not saying that's true here or in a particular church. I'm just saying across the board, even in authentic New Testament Baptist churches, uh, we are greatly stymied because of how easily people are offended. Now, that's a fact, and that's a reality. Some of you say, man, I may not agree with that, and I just think, well, search it out, check it out. I'm, it's open for anybody to uh, pay attention to, and I think that you'll see that it's true. Now, if you are a believer yourself, and I would assume that the majority of people that come on a Sunday evening like this would be uh, a, a believer in Jesus Christ, maybe even most uh, a desire to follow Jesus Christ, if not everyone. I not only am a believer in Jesus Christ, I'd like to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, if that's the case, to any degree, then we understand that Christians, I'm talking about 
Christians, not just in name. People attempting to follow Jesus. People attempting to be Christ-like. Then we understand we should be living above all these petty offenses that everybody's disturbed and upset about. We should live above the pettiness that has knocked so many out of church that has people that stay in church but are offended, crippling the whole body and the whole congregation. Something in us about uh, reading the Bible, studying about what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ tells us that we ought to live above that. We ought not be so easily offended. But I don't want to preach to you about not being so easily offended. That's not what I want to talk about. I'd like to talk about what the verse talks about. Not be offended, period. That's what I'd like to talk about. Not only not being offended, but not even being able to be offended. Oh, now, somebody says, come on, that's kind of pie-in-the-sky stuff. That's not even realistic. Okay, let me see here. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So apparently it is possible to arrive at a place in our devotion to the Word of God, not because we muster up some goodness in us, but because of our devotion to the Word of God. Not just knowing what it said, but acting upon what it says, that we are not only uh, not easily offended, we are not offended, period. Now, I don't mind telling you, that's where I want to live. I'd like to live where when I hear somebody said this or somebody said that, or if somebody posted it on the, on the Twitter, whatever in the world that is, or Facebook, whatever in the world that is, or if they posted it on this media or that media, and they said something about me, and somebody said, do you know what they said about you? And I would just say, well, no, I don't know. But if they said something good, my responsibility to God is the same as before they said it. And if they said something bad, my responsibility to God is the same as it was before they said it. So it really doesn't matter what was said. See, I'd like to live that way to where I cannot be offended. Just unable to be offended. Now, if the Word of God says that's possible, then it's possible. It doesn't matter how it appears to us at first glance, it is absolutely possible. Hey, I notice that, uh, I notice that you're not in the choir anymore. I notice, okay, I just moved on, assuming, you know, I'm the pastor and I'm talking to a church member, right? And I'm saying, now, I notice you're not in the choir anymore. Is there a reason for that? I mean, what is your schedule? You're not feeling good. It takes too much uh, energy. No, but I was in the choir and I'm just telling you this. And they're offended about something, so they're not there anymore. I I notice that you're not in church quite as often as you used to be. Uh, Now, that is usually not a healthy sign for a believer. Is there any reason? I mean, is there something I can pray with you about, encourage you about? Well, I just tell you, I've just kind of backed off ever since the preacher said this, or ever since somebody said that, or ever since somebody corrected my child, or something has offended them. Come on, this goes on among God's people, too. See? And usually the issue is just about as big as that. That's usually what it is. But it offended them, and so they're held up. Now, that ought not to be. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus said. Now, here's what Jesus said. For it must needs be that offenses come. Those are the words of Jesus. 
Now, I'm not going to take you there and turn. And uh, always we would encourage people, consider the context there. You go ahead and do that. And it still is saying exactly this. It is impossible, uh, for it must needs be that offenses come. That is in Matthew 18, 17, or 7. Then in Luke 17, 1, listen to this. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. All right? Now, what we probably should do is make sure we have a good understanding is what does he mean by offenses? So what does the word mean? If, if he is saying, watch this, if he is saying to people that would be his followers, and in both of these cases, uh, Matthew chapter 18 and Luke 17, he is teaching his disciples about being disciples. And he is saying to them in the one place, uh, for it must needs be that offenses come, and he is saying to them, his disciples in the next place, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Then, ladies and gentlemen, we want to know what does he mean by offenses? If I'm going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, I need to be aware that there will be offenses. Here's the word. Offend or offense means a trap stick. Now, I mean, this is a serious theological dictionary study of the word, and it means a trap stick, which kind of caught me off guard. A trap stick. And so I got to figuring out or studying what is a trap stick. And I preached from this text one time, not necessarily this sermon, but at Heartland one time and at the, to our student body in chapel. And I had a guy already set up, uh, hiding behind a, a little uh, curtain or rail there, whatever's there. And I had this long pole in his hand. And so I said, now I'm going to be walking along here. And at the appointed time when I get to such and such a place, then you stick the stick out in front of me. And so I'm walking along, so I'm trying to demonstrate it to the student body. I'm just saying, let's imagine that this is my life right here, and I'm on my journey following Jesus Christ, and I am walking through life, and I am enjoying uh, the fellowship of the Lord, and I am enjoying following Jesus, and I'm enjoying following Him. And I got right about here, and he stuck the stick out. Now, I knew it was going to be there, but they didn't know I knew it was going to be there. And when he stuck the stick out, I fell. And I, was, I determined to do a good job of acting so it would look real and not fake. Well, it was good, all right. It hurt, and I determined I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not doing it tonight. I don't know if I could get up these days. But anyway, I, I was going along, and all of a sudden, this stick is there, and that trap stick, that's what that is, a trap stick, so that you'd do it to an enemy. So they would be going along on a path, and you stick this stick out there, and they would fall. Sometimes they'd dig a hole in front of them, and they'd fall in a pit. And so, here is a trap stick. Okay, so whereas I am following Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, I'm down. I'm smarting. It hurt. It's also humiliating to fall when other people are looking. I know, I've fallen off the platform three times, so I know what I'm talking about. It's humiliating when you fall in public or in the visibility of others. Come on, you stumbled and looked around and thought, I hope nobody saw that, haven't you? Oh, some of you look so innocent, but I know you have. And so that's what the trap stick is. And it takes you down. And whereas you were going along and doing fine, all of a sudden, this has been interrupted by an offense. And you're down. That's what he's talking about. It's a trap stick. An occasion to fall. We're part of the definition here. Uh, Something that makes one stumble. A block or something that will block the way. An obstacle, a cause to fall. All right? Now, uh, if we take what Jesus said, and 
And, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes people get the idea, oh, this is Bible, you, you've just got to... Well, now, I'm thankful that God ordained the preaching of the Bible. You can read this and figure it out. Uh, that uh, it must be that offenses come. That was said to those disciples then. It lives in the Word of God, still speaking to us now. So we have to understand, if we who are assembled here, which is all I have access to tonight, so if we who are assembled here intend to follow Jesus, will there be things that happen in our life that can cause us to stumble, that can take us down, that can make us fall, that will be an obstacle in the way of us serving Jesus Christ and continuing to follow Jesus Christ? Are we going to have to deal with that? If Jesus said, it must needs be that offenses come, then what do you think that means? Well, it's impossible. It's impossible. Well, that's, in fact, that's what he said. It is impossible, but that offenses come. So we know that it's not if or but, it is just a matter of when and how. That in the process of following Jesus Christ, they're going to get things that come along in our way that can cause us to go down and to fall, to be blocked, and to stumble. Now, that's simply what it says. And it should be noted that things that can be an offense, they come from a broad range of possibilities. There are a lot of possibilities. Well, I don't know exactly what you mean. Well, there is such a broad possibility here that uh, we can't possibly name everything that could. So I've kind of, kind of broken it down in categories. Uh, a stumbling block can be giving in to enticements to sin. Enticements to sin. You look back at the life of Joseph, and Joseph was uh, pleasing the Lord, and he was working in Potiphar's house, finding favor with God and with man. And then here comes Potiphar's wife, and she, she would serve as a trap stick. But Joseph refused to be enticed, and he kept going. Now he wound up in prison, but the Lord was with him. And even in prison, he was promoted. Now, come on, we know how the story of Joseph goes. When he is finally able to come out and interpret a dream, then he's made the second most powerful man in Egypt. And so, rather than being enticed by sin to go down, he just kept following the Lord and following the Lord. And even though there was a segment of his time that we'd say, so this is what you get for following the Lord, the man's in prison for crying out loud, and he's forgotten of in there in that prison. Oh, no, he's not forgotten. Because he never stopped following the Lord. Is everybody with me here? That, that Potiphar's wife thing didn't trap him. Oh, no. But it did David. Quite another story there. Our man David. I mean, come on. He's the psalmist here. Who doesn't love David? I do. But the facts are the facts. And he was enticed to sin. And somewhere along the way, maybe this should have been preached to the young men that were ordained along the way, that if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, then there's like a target on your back, or there is, you become a target for the adversary, the devil, and there are going to be enticements to sin. Enticements to give in to the lusts and the appetites of the flesh. And there's going to be enticements or there's going to be this opportunity to be trapped in enticement to sin and commit the sins. That war against the soul is the way that Peter put it. See, there's also persecution for being a Christian. 
I've seen people that, uh, I mean, I've had the privilege of leading people to the Lord and baptizing them. And seeing them, it seemed to me, with every intent to be genuine, sincere, and meaning to follow the Lord. And they got saved and their life was changed and turned around. And they went to tell family members and loved ones of what Jesus had done for them. And they went to tell people that really didn't want to hear and really weren't ready for any changes to take place in their life. And all of a sudden, they were like the black sheep of a family, if you know what that terminology means. All of a sudden, they were like an outsider to their own family. They were taking ridicule and even maybe persecution from their own family members. And there's some of them that started following Jesus. And when they saw the opposition of others, including family or close associations or friends, and they saw that they were actually being, uh, they were actually being marked or targeted for persecution of some kind because they followed Jesus, it hindered, stopped, blocked, became an obstacle to their fellowship of Jesus. Now, there are people like that. There, there are a lot of people like that. This happens in Mormon country, where people are converted. They understand the fallacy of Mormonism, and they fully intend to follow Jesus until they are shunned. It's happened in a lot of different religions and cults. Breaking away from the family tradition. Breaking away from where your grandparents believed and your great-grandparents believed this. And now look at you. And then they count the cost of following Jesus or staying in favor with the family. And it stops, stops them right there. Others are stopped by jealousy, envy. Others are stopped by hatred, malice, bitterness, unforgiveness, unforgiveness. Well, yeah, they said something to me. It's impossible, but that offense has come. What's everybody going to say everything you want to hear? I mean, come on, be realistic in our life. We're always going to have people telling us what we're pleased with and what we want to hear. People are always going to say about us things that are totally accurate and positive and good. I mean, come on, friends. We've got to understand the reality of life. And Jesus kind of, well, He didn't kind of, He put it this way. He said, um, if they hated me, that would be an unbelieving world, they will hate you. And he went on to say in John 15, the servant is not greater than his master, and if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. See, he just let us know. Jesus never promised, you follow me and the wind will always be at your back. You follow me and the sun will always be shining on your head. You follow me and the flowers will always be blossoming all around you. He never promised anything like that. In fact, he said, you better count the cost. There is a price to pay. If any man's going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, come on. This cross is not really a glorious instrument, is it? It's a, it, the cross is an instrument of shame. It's an instrument of pain. It's an instrument of reproach. Cursed, the Bible says, is everyone that hangeth on a tree. See? But Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross and follow me. And there are going to be offenses. That's what he said. Well, thanks a lot for these encouraging words. Well, We've got to be confronted with the truth. I mean, how can a person face all of the obstacles and the opposition 
of the adversary, the devil himself, and ways and, and people that he uses, uh, how in the world could a person never be offended? Well, what does the book say? Now look down in verse number 161 of our text. Look at this. Notice this. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice that thy word is one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying. Now, what does that tell you? Well, somebody's been lying about him. That's what he's saying. I hate and I abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee. And so the psalmist himself is one who, watch this, has experienced some opposition. Now, if we know anything about the life of David, we know that David was uh, on the short end of a really bad deal time and time again with Saul, then with his own son Absalom. I'm just saying that David went through some real opposition and some real difficult time. And yet, he gives us the assurance, now watch this, that if an individual loves the law of the Lord. Look at this, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So the only way that a person can get to the place in their life where in their fellowship of Jesus, they are not taken down. They are not offended to the point of not getting up. They are not blocked from following Jesus. The only way that can happen is a right relationship to the Word of God. Now, here's called the law of God. You know, in the 119th Psalm, it's called the law of God, the precepts of God, the commandments of God, the, uh, the name of what are there, about six or seven different ways that he makes reference to the Word of God. And he said, great peace have they, watch this, which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. In other words, we're easy prey without strong devotion to the Word of God. We are easy prey. Great peace have they which love thy law. Now, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm not taking a poll. I'm just asking it for your meditation consideration. Do you love the Word of God? You don't have to answer amen. You don't say anything. I'm just asking. I don't expect you will. You don't say amen when I wish you would. So I don't expect you to say amen now. So I'm just saying... Uh, do you love the law of God? Do you, are you a lover of the Word of God? Well, I mean, I'm here. Right. I get it. But the question still stands. Do you love the Word of God? Do you love God's law? Do you love God's commandments? Do you love God's statutes? Do you love God's Word? Are you a lover of this book? Do you love God? Now, hold it. I mean, yes. What do you think I am? A heathen? Of course, Brother Sam. I love the Word of God. Okay. But before you answer so surely, then we have to ask this question. Do you do what it says? Are you obedient to the Word? Nobody's perfect. I expected to get that when that comes every time you ask somebody anything about their walk. Well, nobody's perfect. You know, I think we can just kind of drop that one. That's pretty well understood by everybody everywhere, that nobody is perfect. 
Neither does God leave without consideration that we are imperfect beings. As a matter of fact, His patience and long-suffering and kindness to usward and His willingness to bring us along and give us opportunity. Come on, pick us up and brush us off and send us on our way again. Is testimony to the fact that He is very well aware of our imperfection. But I'm just asking the question that when you, as a lover of the Word of God... See that the Word of God speaks to you. Do you act upon it in obedience? Now, Jesus said, if you love me, John 15, Jesus said, if you love me, somebody finish that, will you? Keep my commandments. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't say you love me if you're not going to do what I say. Don't say you love me if you're not going to act upon my words. It would be ludicrous for the disciples to say, Oh, Lord, we love you. Come on, we know we went through this. And, and uh, with uh, Simon Peter and all the disciples, don't forget they all forsook him and fled. And Jesus restores them and brings them back into fellowship. But it's silly for a person to say, Yes, I love you, but I'm not going to do what you say. So I have to ask the question. Would you like to live a life without being able to be offended? Then it's not just enough that you know, I know what the Bible says, I've read and studied that Bible. That's not even the biggest question. The biggest question is, do you do what the book says? That's the biggest question. Now, I'm I'm just going to be real blunt. It's the only thing I know how to do in this kind of situation If we say that we love Him while we willfully disobey His Word, we're lying. It's not true. It's not true. There's a lot the Word of God expects. Yeah, that's the truth. You know what I found out over these uh, years of trying to be a, not, not primarily a preacher, but be a Christian? You know what I found out? Well... I found that you go on the journey, uh, that our life is oftentimes like trying to take a balloon, you know, the, the uh, makeup and the character of a balloon. Did you ever try to gather a balloon this big into an area this big? Did you ever try to do that? And when you try to gather it in, you think, yeah, I think I'm getting it. And then it pops out over here. And so you got to work and you're going to gather that part in that pops out over here. Did you ever do that? That's why I kind of feel like our Christian life is. That God works on us here and works on us there. And He works on us to the point where we acknowledge that we get right with God. And then we're feeling pretty good about ourselves and just keep reading the Bible and realize, whoop, something's popped out over here. And now I need to get this under submission to the authority of the Word of God. Is everybody with me here? Am I, am I alone in this? Please. Sandra, are you even hearing me tonight? Come on, nod your head. Yes, thank you. Okay, so that's pretty much how our lives are. Isn't, isn't that right? Now somebody says, no, Brother Sam, actually I've had it all together for a long, long time now. <laughs> oh, probably not. Probably not. So the issue is, do we ever, is not, do we ever sin? Do we ever do anything wrong? That's a given. If we say, as believers, read First John chapter 1. If we say that we do not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say we do no sin, then, then the truth is not in us. The word is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we understand that we sin. When John wrote in First John chapter 2, uh, Beloved, these things I write unto you that you sin not. 
And if any man sin, that if is a rhetorical if. In other words, it's not like some of you might not. It's a rhetorical if. Of course we know we sin. Of course we do. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's the issue, though. When in our daily walk and something is awry or we're out of step or something has popped out over here and it's contrary to the Word of God, well, when God addresses it in our life, do we answer to it and get it right? Well, most of the time, was there an area you refused to get right in? Well, well, don't say you love this law if you know God's Word speaking to you about this being corrected in your life and you won't correct it. Ouch. I know. See what I mean? Because He didn't promise this great peace to them that know His law. He said great Peace have they which love thy law. And I had you read that first stanza about the understanding that comes from, listen, not just knowing what God's Word said, but obeying what God's Word said. Not just knowing what God's Word said, but doing what God's Word said. Now, back in the year of 1991, I remember I was uh, pastoring at Southwest Baptist Church, had a guest preacher. He got up and was preaching, and while he was preaching, I got under great conviction that I was primarily using the Bible to talk to other people about themselves, and I was not spending the time in the Bible I should for God to speak to me. And I was the first one at the altar that day to make a commitment to God about the time that I'm going to spend in the Word of God. And since that time in 1991, I'm just saying this to encourage God in heaven knows. Uh, There are certainly people that have read the Bible more than me. But since that time in 1991, I've probably read the Bible through about 130 times. And so you're reading in the Bible and reading in the Bible. Now, I'm not reading in the Bible, just, and I try my best to avoid this. I change how I read it and different things because I want it to be fresh and I want to do it in a meaningful way. And so I'm reading through the Bible, and I'm reading through the Bible, and God speaks to me, to my heart, about me. Now I have an issue to decide. Well, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm reading the Bible through four times in a year. Well, I'm, I'm a real reader of the Word of God. That's not even the biggest issue. When the Word of God addresses the issues of my life, am I going to act upon it? Or pat myself on the back because I'm a Bible reader. Is everybody with me? Yeah. Well, don't say we love His Word. And don't say we are devoted to His Word. Because it's the entrance of His Word that gives understanding. And here's what he said over in that first stanza that I read. That his devotion to and submission to the authority of the Word of God is what gave him understanding. He understood. And and his submission to the Word gave him wisdom beyond his teachers. And and gave him understanding beyond his enemies. And his obedience and his acting upon the Word. Now, now, I'm just trying to get it across that this statement, Great peace have they which love that. Well, I have a favorable attitude towards the Word of God. That's not what he said. He said, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, hold on just a second. And if we're not devoted to act upon the Word of God, then we will, listen, 
those stumbling blocks, those offenses, those trap sticks that are set in the way will take us down, not just because we've had a favorable attitude, but we love His Word. And in that loving of the Word, we obey the Word of God. See? And you can read all through the 119th Psalm. And you see this manifest over and over and over and over. It's not just intellectual knowledge and stuffing it in our head. It's acting upon it. And the more we act upon it, then the more understanding we have. And the less possibility there is to be offended. That's what he's saying. Great peace have they which love thy law. You know, I found... uh, just uh, reading the Bible. <laughs> oh, my. How many times I've sat down just to read, you know, to, just to be a good Christian and read my Bible. And I'm not looking for a sermon, not looking for a lesson. I'm not looking for something to talk to you about and preach to you about. I'm just reading the Bible because I need to be fed the Word of God. And I'm reading the Bible and I'm getting worked over. Just being corrected by God. Well, one particular time, I'll spare you the time and the details of the story, had to do with my attitude toward my wife. A certain juncture we reached in our marriage, you know, and uh, uh, there's, there's a lot to the story. I mean, it wasn't a stressful time like where our marriage was in danger. It wasn't anything like that. But I was not treating her right. I was, not, uh, I was short with her. She annoyed me. You should never say that. Well, I don't anymore, but she did. She annoyed me. Well, so, you know, don't look at me so weird. Uh, l- let me help you with this. They have discovered there's a difference between men and women. So here I was walking along and I'm reading my Bible. And I'm in Ephesians chapter 5, a passage that I've preached and taught and given in marriage counseling and uh, marriage seminars and couples retreats and all of that. And the Word of God is saying to me, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. And it's like God put a spotlight there and said, There's your problem right there. You don't love her. Lord, I love that woman. Of course I do. Well, You don't love her because you say so. You love her if you do what love is. And love is kind. And love is gentle. And love is patient. That's all I love. Read 1 Corinthians 13. You don't have to take my word for it. Just go read and say all that. And and here's what I got her in conviction about. Now, I could pass it off and say, well, she just needs to make some changes. Or I could humble myself and say, God, I am out of step with your word. Look at me a second. I only truly love God's Word if I take time to let God's Word correct my attitude, my thinking, and my conduct. If I don't allow the Word of God to change and to shape my thinking, my action, my conduct, then I am a phony about my devotion and love for His Word. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. it's exactly what's going on. Now, does God speak to you? When I'm mad at my neighbors for playing all their loud music and disrupting my peace when I finally get to be at home, and all I can hear is the old windows in that old house rattling, and, you know, and the house shaking, ba-boom, 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 as you can hear it a block away from somebody's having an outdoor party, and the rock music is going, and that bass, incessant sound of that bass is just a annoying, that's not music, just annoying me to death. 
So I started scheming a plan, uh, having already talked to my neighbors, uh, about five of them at different times, trying to be right and have a good attitude, tell them that, you know, you've been a good neighbor, and I know you don't mean to be a bad neighbor. I don't want to be a bad neighbor. But, man, I don't want to set my house. How about you fix that music where you hear it and I don't? (laughs) And then you'll be happy and I'll be happy. Okay, okay. And then they don't do it. So I start scheming and planning how I will set this straight and get even with them and teach them a lesson. That's what I'm going to do. God put me in that neighborhood to teach people a lesson. So I'm reading the Bible that morning, next morning. Sitting there reading the Bible. As I'm reading the Bible, I came to Psalm, uh, let's say, Proverbs 19. And there's a verse in there, Proverbs 19, that says that we are not to say, I will recompense evil. Don't say that. But wait thou upon the Lord. And God, can, look, look at me just a second. God convicted my heart right there. Son, even though you haven't done anything against your neighbors, you're not even thinking right. Don't you even say, I will recompense evil. That's not even the attitude a Christian is supposed to have. Is everybody with me on this? That's not even the right thinking, the right attitude. And you know, wrong thinking and wrong attitudes eventually leads to wrong action. Did you know that? And so I'm sitting there reading the Bible. I'm just trying to be a good boy and do my Bible reading. But no, God's got to come and speak to me about my issue with the neighbors. And He is saying to me, don't you even think about recompensing evil or trying to get even with them. That is wrong. I had a bigger problem than the neighbors did. They didn't know any better. I did. Now, when I read that and God convicts me about my attitude toward the neighbors and God says, you wait on me then what could I do? I could read that and say, there ain't no neighbor going to treat me this way and just keep reading on. Do you think, that's, uh, do you think that's what God had in mind when He says, love His Word? Because if I truly love His Word, I'm going to stop and let His Word correct my life. So I had to get down on my knees, got a you know, built-in altar right there at the house, my ottoman uh, my, for my feet, and I just get down, I get down there and pray and say, God, my attitude's wrong. What are you going to do about your neighbors? I don't know. Well, what are you going to do? Wait on the Lord. That's what the verse says. What do you think He's going to do? How would I know? It's not my business what He's going to do or how He's going to handle my neighbors. It's my business to act upon His Word. Is everybody getting this? That's where this peace comes from. Now, I'm just here to tell you, If you are one, or when I get to the place in my life, when God's Word is correcting me, and I can see it, and I know it, and I should respond to it and correct it, these words aren't to me. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I'm just here to tell you right now, those words belong to those that love the law, and to love the law means to act upon the law. Read all of the 119th Psalm. You can't miss it. That our devotion and love to the Word of God has to do with not just knowing what it says, but acting upon it. Now, you wonder why there are so many people that start to follow the Lord, and the next thing you know, they're flat on their face. Well, they were probably never saved to begin with. Well, I don't know if that's true or not. Neither do you. Neither do you. Well, if they're still saved, it's the grace of God. Well, I I read my Bible right. It's the grace of God any of us are saved. (laughs) See, 
But why do so many start off and then they don't keep following the Lord? Why is it they are offended? Probably because somewhere along the way, God spoke to their heart. And though they might have uh, professed a devotion and love for the Word of God, they tried to just keep on moving without acting upon the Word. When clearly, if we love His Word, we obey His Word. To say we love His Word and refuse to obey His Word is fake. It's fake. It's not real. Say you love the Word, don't do what it says. In fact, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love your Word. I love you, Lord. Uh, I'd be about like a kid. I'm looking down here. and I was watching the pastor and Joy down here this morning. The pastor had his arm around the boys. They were singing the congregational singing, a beautiful little picture right there. And... Uh, and old Joy had his arm around his dad like this, and they're standing there singing away, not thinking about if anybody's looking or watching or anything. Isn't that a pretty picture? But I would almost guess that most dads would... Uh, it's fine to hear your child say, I love you, but to say it by obedience and a right spirit is really priceless. Huh? It's really priceless. So that if a kid that's not obedient says, I love you, Dad, and he's willfully being disobedient, Dad has reason to say, do you really? I'm more interested in your obedience. You manifest your love that way. And when God speaks to us, listen, here's what he said. Great peace. You want great peace in your life? You want it where nobody can offend you? I'm not talking about walking along like an airhead where you're unaware of anything or anybody, what anybody's going on or saying. It just doesn't matter about your devotion to the Lord. It's already settled and it's already set. And nothing can stop you from following the Lord. Did you know if you really love Jesus and His Word, nobody can keep you from it? Nobody can keep you from following the Lord and obeying the Lord. And accompanied with that, watch this, is not peace, not peace, great peace. Remember when uh, Jesus, when the Bible and the Gospels talks about the multitudes? Okay, let's measure a multitude like this. You study the word out yourself and you'll see that I'm telling you right. That if, let's consider, Jesus said there was a multitude, or the word says that the multitude came to hear Jesus. And then you notice there are times it says great multitudes? It's like this. It's that, I mean, the word great just swells it to almost immeasurable proportions. And he didn't say, Peace have they which love thy law. He said, Great peace have they which love thy law. You know why somebody, some believers are in the midst of some kind of drama that keeps them from being what they're supposed to be for Jesus all the time? You know why? You know why there's turmoil and confusion instead of great peace? I'll tell you why. Because they're not acting on the Word. Well, if you knew what the offense was, the greatest offense is you not loving His law. That's the greater offense. But you don't know what people did. Now, look, I've got a few stab marks in the back myself (laughs) along the way. Sure, there's painful and hurtful things. Look at me just a second. 
But the real issue is not what unfortunate or negative event happened in my life. The real issue is this. Did it, did, ho, 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 did it trip me up and stop me from following Jesus Christ? That is the bigger issue. That is the real issue. But they hurt me. Almost everybody everywhere gets hurt somewhere along the way. It is impossible, but that offenses come. The question is, how will you respond to it? My wife and I just had, um, uh, before we took up on this trip, let's see, that would have been two weeks ago yesterday, and we had a meeting with a family that's going through a, a pastor and his wife and children going through a very, very difficult situation. It's a tough, tough situation. And the situation got ugly in the church. And so we love them and have invested a lot in their lives. And so when we met with them, I just took the time to pray with them before we hit the road. And we met them at a certain place. And so we stood there and talked a little bit. And I said, now, these things are going to happen. There's an attack upon the church and upon the flock. Paul said there would be wolves among you. Wolves don't... Look at me. Wolves don't quit easy. A fight with a wolf is an ugly thing. And Paul warned the pastors and the elders. He said there are going to be grievous wolves that will come in to destroy the flock. And it's the job of the shepherd to protect the flock from the wolves. And I said, your daddy is going to do what God would have him to do to protect that flock. And it may get really ugly. Wolves do a lot of damage. Does everybody listen to this? Wolves do a lot of damage. But the real issue is not their action and what they're doing. The real issue is, are you going to let this make you better? I'm sorry, bitter or more dependent upon God? Are you going to let this make you hate the ministry and wish your dad wasn't a preacher? Or are you going to follow Jesus and let him take care of it? What, are, what is going to be your response to this? Because you're going to live with the results of it for the rest of your life. Now, how do you want it to be? Humble yourself. And in the midst of it, I got a text yesterday. I got a text yesterday. This has been difficult, but it's amazing how we're growing through it. And the peace that God, the peace that God has given. No surprise. Great peace have they that love thy law. And what? Nothing. I said nothing. I didn't write that Bible, but I sure believe it. Nothing shall offend them. What a way to live. I said, what, a, what genuine Christian doesn't want to live this way? Not offended. Never offended. And nothing shall offend them. So, Lord, thank you for these.